The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here. I'm here. Uh, Lots of football to discuss. Some baseball to discuss. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. It doesn't cost you a thing. For all of you who have and have rated and reviewed us, thank you very much. For those of you who haven't, if you could spend a minute one day uh, on Apple or Spotify or Google, wherever you're listening to this, if it offers a chance to rate the podcast or review it, uh, if you could do that, it could be really helpful. We see that so many of you have done it and so many of you haven't yet. And I know it seems like uh, it's inconvenient, but honestly, it takes a minute to do. Um, and if it doesn't take a minute and it's hard to figure out, just, just don't do it. It's fine. But uh, it really does help us if you can rate us and review us and subscribe um, to the podcast. Tommy's here. Do you want to start with some baseball? Um, that was an exciting ending last night uh, with, by the way, a Juan, bit. Juan Soto watching on in a Trey Turner Nats jersey last night at Dodger Stadium. What did you think of that? I thought it. If you're a Nats fan, it was very painful to watch. I mean, it was kind of cool, but it's it was just a reminder that maybe the Cy Young winner uh, for the National League mm-hmm. and the batting title champion right. for the National League and the best player in the National League all used to, well, three of them together used to be teammates on your Nationals team. Now there's one left that being Juan Soto, and I remain convinced that there's no chance he's going to stay here. Uh, No chance there'll be a deal made. The best player in baseball, you're talking about the possibility that Bryce Harper could win the MVP. Trey Turner, there were MVP chants when he came up last night in the bottom of the third with the bases loaded. Uh, To be honest, that's really the last I saw of the game, and then I was out. Um, after that, uh, I was really rooting for Trey Turner and I was rooting for Scherzer and I want them to do well. But I, I guess the question based on what you just said, because I think you believe this, the Nats are kind of small time. You believe that, don't you? Yes. Yes. Now that's hard. Now that's hard to reconcile with an organization that's usually in the top 10 in payroll. And won a you World know? Series and was in the postseason a hell of a lot over about a six-year, seven-year period. But, I mean, let's face it. I mean, what we've seen, who we've seen disappear 
is arguably, when he left, maybe the best player in baseball in Bryce Harper. Uh, Trey Turner, who, like I said, was the batting title winner this year, one of the best players in baseball. And now we're about to see Juan Soto, who is now, I think, the best player in baseball, uh, possibly leave as well. Uh, we see Max Scherzer, uh, possibly the best pitcher in the National League, not named DeGrom, uh, wind up leaving as well. So in, in that sense, I guess, you know, the, the, final, the final outcome of this is Nats fans have to live with the fact they, they have to bank more than ever on Mike Rizzo and their ability to be able to replenish the roster with young talent that takes the place of the greatest players in the game who wind up leaving. Yeah. You know, just one observation, and I mentioned this, I think, on the radio show this morning or yesterday. The last two nights, and I have not watched the entirety of these games um, by the way, were, did you think Max Scherzer or Scherzer should be pulled when he got pulled in the fifth inning? Well, that, that seemed only to be a controversial because, decision. Only because this is a one-game playoff. You know, this is like, I mean, all hands on deck to win a game like this, and every out counts. And he was giving away outs, you know, arguably by putting people on base with four walks. Yeah. At that at that point, ninety four pitch so, count. So yeah, I, I, yeah, and I had no problem. I mean, Joe Kelly's a really good relief pitcher. I had no problem with that. Now Adam Kilgore brought up uh, in his column in, in the Post something I've talked about for years is because of this style of play. Now we are denied the great pitching matchups of a Scherzer versus a, a Wainwright deep into a game. Right. You know, you get it you get it for a half a game. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. But I've been saying for years that the starting pitchers are the stars of the game. And we've diminished those stars with uh the reliance on the bullpen. But that's the way the game's played now. Uh it is the way the game's played. I mean to me there's no you know bigger moment for you know the starting pitcher being pulled from a game where I think it backfired in a major way in a major spot but game seven of the World Series that this small town this small time team was in against the Astros when Greinke was pulled when he had been brilliant throughout yes um I I still yes I still the Nationals breathed a sigh of relief when they saw Greinke oh my god yeah um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, look, it paid off for Dave Roberts. You know, they, 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 they brought in, you know, multiple relievers, and it paid off uh, in the moment. And then Kenley Jansen looked about as good as he's looked um, in a while. You know, he wasn't their best. He really wasn't at his best, I should say. Um, in the postseason last year, but he came in with Kelly. Kelly got two outs, and Scherzer basically pitched four and a third in a critical game. You know, back, uh, to your point, this would have been, come on, Max, workhorse us into the ninth, and then we'll get our closer in there. No, he's out in the fifth having pitched 20, uh, 94 pitches, walked three, struck out four, only gave up one earned run. Um, so <clears throat> what I loved about the last two nights 
I mean, I love I love playoff baseball, and I'm I'm upset that I didn't stay up. I just I I tried because last night obviously was very dramatic. It's the kind of playoff drama that we love. Bottom of the ninth, one-one game, do or die game. Loser goes home, winner moves on, and you get a home run to end it um, with two outs. Uh, there were two outs at that point. I think there were two outs real quickly in the bottom of the ninth. Anyway, the thing that was so noticeable to me the last two nights is just what a great baseball crowd Boston is at Fenway and how good the Dodger fans are when they're there and ready to go. Both of those environments the last two nights were so electric. It was really, you know, it's really what makes these wild card games great if you get them played in in these kinds of environments. I mean, the Dodgers, 106 winners playing at home against the Cardinals, but then you get the rivalry game from the night before between the Red Sox and the Yankees. I hope we get this for the next month, but God, those environments the last two nights, incredible. Fenway the other night yeah, look, was lit, as the kids say. I, I, you know, I've, I've covered probably about 25 or 30 playoff games at Fenway Park. And I'm sitting there, you know, watching the game with my wife, and I say, you know, I really miss being there. I mean, it's really an unbelievable place yeah. in a game like this. You know, and I've been so fortunate. I mean, I was there when one of those walk-off home – I was at Yankee Stadium when Aaron Boone hit the walk-off home run in 2003. But I was there for the, the brawl where Pedro threw uh, Don Zimmer down on the ground. Right. You know, I, I was there when they came back to win uh, game four after being down 3 nothing in 2004. So, yeah, Fenway, it's fabulous. Now, and, and the Dodgers last night, the, that atmosphere was great, too. Uh, but, uh, I mean, just uh, we're, not talk- we're talking about two different things, I'm assuming here. Uh, let me just say, uh, because I think it needs to be said, the wild card game against, against Milwaukee, Milwaukee was the best of that first piece. Park. It, it was the best. Yes. It was yes. better than the that, World that Series games. Yeah, that was lit. Now, one of the reasons it was better Absolutely. than the World Series games, it was a you know bottom of the eighth rally from three one down with the season on on the line. There was no yes. there was no do or die game that year at Nats Park. Right, the Dodger series was right. You know, the fifth game in L.A. Um, and I think they were up two one. So I, I think that's what it was. I'm forgetting now that particular, uh, that particular series. I, I think I've told you this before. I had the chance to go. Um, actually, that's not true. Washington. I'm looking at it right now. Washington did play a game against the Dodgers in that league divisional series, and they were down two to one in the series, playing at home. And Scherzer pitched, and they won the game six to one. And then they won that unbelievable Howie Kendrick grand slam, uh, you know, ten inning game um, against the Dodgers. Which still, to me, the vision of Clayton Kershaw after he had gotten a huge out as a reliever to end an inning, and then came back in the following inning and got lit up. Um, do you remember he got lit up? I, I want to say it was the eighth, and it was Rendon and Soto back to back. Like on three pitches, boom, boom, it's over. And just that shot of Kershaw sitting solo in that dugout was one of the – it's a lasting image in my head. Um, That was such a dramatic game. But I think I've told you this before. I went to a Yankees playoff game in the mid-'90s against the Mariners at Yankee Stadium, and it was incredible. 
It was so... That would have been 95, I think. It was it 95? Yeah, 90. it was the mid-90s. I was in New York with, yeah. actually, on business, and a friend of mine's like, I got an extra ticket. Do you want to go? And I'm like, absolutely. And I that, I, that, was, um, I, that was an incredible atmosphere to be in Yankee Stadium for a playoff game. I've been in Fenway many times, but not for a playoff game. But it was great the last two nights, both of those yeah. environments. Even the yeah. L.A. fan, which is... You know, so laid back. Those people were ready to go last night. Yes, yeah, it, it, it was gr- it was great to see. Absolutely. Um, and I'm happy. I mean, I'm also happy for Stan Caston. Whenever the Dodgers yeah. win, you know, I mean, I, look, I, I I really like Stan. Uh, I was going through some old emails the other night, and uh, I came across an email. Uh, from someone I mentioned that this to somebody. Remember the Washington Times? They closed their sports section in 2009. Right. In <clears> December 2009, they shut it down, and we were all out of all the writers, including me, were out of writing jobs. Right. At, at the time, uh, and uh, the first person I heard from to see if I was okay was Stan Caston. He, he he was uh, a, he was a nice guy. He really liked you. I remember that very much. And, you yeah. know, he, he, he's that kind of guy. I mean, like, whether it's for sales purposes or PR purposes, he doesn't miss a trick. But I know that he always liked you. He's a Hall, he is a Hall of Fame baseball executive. He'll be in the Hall of Fame someday. Wow. I mean, for what Atlanta did when he was there, winning, you know, right. going to 14 straight uh, postseason games uh, and then turning around – and then helping to start the team in Washington, and then going to L.A., and then winning you know, the World Series last year, the COVID World Series, but winning the World Series last year. Uh, he had something like uh, 32, 33, like, uh, or 35 uh, division league World Series championships on his resume. Well, he also was a very successful NBA executive, right? When he yes. was in Atlanta, yes. wasn't he also the Hawks, um, the president of the Hawks? He was also the president of the hockey team, too, I think. The okay. Thrashers. <clears throat> yeah. When they were there. Yeah. So he, he's going in the Hall of Fame as a contributor someday. He, um, you know, when he took over that job with the Nationals, whatever year that was, you would know what year that was. 2006. It was the year, it was the first year that I did the show with Rigo. Rigo and I and Gary Braun did a show together for two and a half years, something like that. And Kasten, that was it. It was 2006. And I think he just loved Rigo for some reason. But I also think he was a big time promoter. I think one of the, one of his real talents is he can really sell, <clears throat> and he is a promoter. You know, and and the Nats needed promoting. You know, they were in the second yeah. year, and, you know, he was talking about, I mean, every time he came on, he had the, the menu from the stadium updated. I mean, he was talking <laughs> about brats, and, you know, just, it was, it was, you could, what you, all, he was Joe Theismann. You asked him one question, and you could go, literally, you could just doze off, and five minutes later, he was still talking. <laughs> um, but I, he, every single time, and usually we didn't even have to ask. Usually somebody from the Nats would say, hey, Stan's available. He really likes coming on with you guys. Well, he he, he enjoyed Rigo was was really what it was about. Um, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, and one last <laughs> thing about Stan. 
how old when is he? he when, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. When he left uh, Washington in 2010, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he had signed a five-year contract to uh, run the team when he when they took over in 2006, and and you know stayed for the, for the whole thing. Uh, but uh, that winter, he went. Remember the Wyomania trip I used to take? Yeah, for a bunch he, of sports writers and baseball executives. He went, he went with you. Football? Yeah, he went with us to Wyomania. <laughs> I remember him asking. I remember him asking me in the bus one time, uh, "Are you following the uh, divorce uh, stuff between the uh, McCourts? You know, Frank McCourt and his wife. They both owned the Dodgers at the time." But there was a bitter divorce going on, and the team could be, at, you know, the ownership of the team could be in play. I remember him asking me that, and uh, when he asked me that, I immediately knew he would wind up owning the Dodgers. <laughs> right. I think he wound up buying them like two years later. Well, I knew once he asked about that 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 that's what that was his plan. Well, then he was part of the whole. Magic Johnson's the one that bought the yes. team with a group, right? Well, no, and Stan. And Stan. I mean, Magic's not the big money man. So I know, Magic, but Magic he, he, was the big face of that purchase back then. Yes, he was. Yes, he absolutely was. So, uh, just f- first of all, not everybody knows what Wyomania is. So, tell everybody real quickly what Wyomania is. And then, why the hell would Stan Kasten, the, the Nats team president, Go on your Wyomania trip, and did he have a good time? There you go. Three questions. Go. Okay. Well, Wyomania was Tracy Ringlesby, the baseball writer at the time uh, in Colorado, uh, was a big Wyoming uh, you know, sports fan. And uh, like at one point, one of his friends, a fellow sports writer, was going through a divorce. So him and, and a couple of other writers – you know, organized a weekend uh, out in Wyoming to go to a Wyoming football game. It was just four of them then. And then the next year they decided to do it again and add uh, a few more people. Uh, so eventually I wound up getting invited, and when I went, we're talking 30 to 35 people, and we rented a bus for the whole weekend to, to cart us around. Right. Uh, and it would be not just sports writers. But baseball executives, Art Howe, the former manager, uh, went one time. Clint Hurdle, uh, the uh, who wound up who was the manager of the Rockies and later the Pirates. He went. There were scouts and the front office executives who went. So it was a mixture. And I don't know why Stan went. Uh, well, he had just left the job at, in Washington. He wouldn't have gone if he was still working uh, for the Nationals. But uh, he had a good time. I don't remember him drinking with us late at night, though. Right. He wasn't out on the town with us late at night. Art Howe went? He didn't, yeah. Wow. I, I didn't really, you know, I, I remember these stories, you know, vaguely. And I remember more often than not the stories when you got back from it um, because it took you a few days to recover, typically. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, that's, But that trip ended how many years ago? Uh, well, I stopped going about six years ago. Uh, I think COVID has put an end to it right. for now. Okay. Uh, I don't know if they're interested in reviving it or not. But it had a good run of about 15 years, I think. 
Uh, I just looked it up. Stan Kasten's actually younger than I would have thought. He is 69 years old. 69 years old. I would have thought that he was older. God, it seems like he's just been around forever. By the way, back to the game last night for a moment. You know, Chris Taylor's walk-off, you know, home run uh, to win a do-or-die postseason game in Major League Baseball. It's the fifth time all time that that's happened. Uh, I remember the second time it happened, and that was Chris Chambliss's walk-off against the Kansas City Royals in the 1976 AL uh, Championship Series at Yankee Stadium. The famous Chambliss couldn't even make it around the entire base path because the fans stormed the field. But the first one was Bill Mazeroski's famous Game 7 Pittsburgh Pirates home run against the Yankees in 1960. It was against the Yankees, right? I think I'm right about that. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was a 7th so do you, do you, re- yeah. you asked me the other day if I remembered where I was for the Bucky Dent game. Do you remember where you were for the Bill Mazeroski home run? No, I was 6 years old. Oh, and, uh, you were older than that. I, I, <laughs> no, I was 6. <laughs> when that happens. So I don't I don't recall that. My first recollection of watching baseball regularly on T V was nineteen sixty two. Okay. When the Mets came to town. Uh I'm sure I look I I'm sure I did because I was a huge Mickey Mantle fan. Uh and I remember in sixty one we went to a Yankees game once in the in the old you know, the old stadium. Uh but uh no I don't have any recollection of Bill Masarowski which has to be the most dramatic home run in the history of baseball. And it was a super high-scoring game, Bottom of the ninth, game seventh too. game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah has to be the most dramatic home run. I think the final score of that game, I'm going to look it up, was 12-11 to 11 or 11-10 to 10 or something like that. Um, so it was a high-scoring. Well, I think, I think all the games the Pirates won were high-scoring, and all the games the Yankees won were low-scoring in that series. Mm-hmm. And Ralph Terry gave up the uh, home run to Bill Mazurowski, came back in 62, and I think won three games in the 62 series against the Giants. 10-9 to was the final score of the seventh and deciding game in 1960. October 13th, 1960. The World Series ended a lot earlier back then. And the games were played, you know, during the day. I mean, they were played. I mean, that's just kind of wild to me, just the evolution of sports and the, I mean, the, the, the World Series deciding games were, you know, the first pitch was like 1 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon or whatever, you know, yeah. and that wasn't a big deal. Um, anyway, okay. Uh, so we've got some Washington football team stuff to discuss, and I, and I want to continue the conversation actually about Taylor Heineke here in a moment, which I will. And I want to talk to Tommy about something that we briefly talked about the other day and then I talked a little bit more in detail yesterday about. But I did want to mention for those of you that you know had not seen it and are getting all of your Washington football team news from this podcast, Logan Thomas went to the injured reserve 
um, with, for three weeks uh, with the hamstring thing. So that's disappointing. They've got some issues at tight end here for the next three weeks. And, and that's a big miss, I think, for the offense in general. I think Logan Thomas really was developing into a really good player. And even if the numbers didn't reflect it, to have him and Terry McLaurin and, and Gibson, you know, and McKissick on the field at the same time, I think everybody was benefiting from the other's presence. So they've got that, you know, issue at tight end right now. Uh, they ended up signing Jace Sternberger off Seattle's practice squad. Uh, but it'll be, you know, John Bates and Ricky Seals-Jones and then this kid Samus Reyes, the basketball player, will more likely than not be active um, this weekend. So um, I, I talked about this this morning because on Wednesdays you get the first injury report of the week for the team and the team you're playing. And Washington's injury report was really long. Like for the first time this year, they've been so through the first three weeks of the season, they really were without any kind of serious injuries. And then they lost McTire to the knee injury for the year. They lost Sheriff, you know, um, uh, they lost Bostic for the year, and then Sheriff is out two to three weeks, and that, now Logan Thomas is on the injured reserve. And then the names that were on the list yesterday of players that didn't practice, Sims, Samuel, Holcomb, Gibson, Deami Brown. Then a lot of players were limited, like John Allen and Shazer Everett and Matt Ioannidis and J.D. McKissick and Benjamin St. Juice again and James Smith-Williams. And I, I was talking to my, my producer, Brendan, before the show this morning, and he just made the comment. He said, you know, probably be a, uh, be a good time to have your, you know, head, uh, head athletic trainer around when you have this many injuries. <laughs> and sure enough, I'm like, yeah, but did you see the news yesterday that Bubba Tire showed up to Redskin yeah. Park or to Washington football team park? Bubba Tire, Tommy who first became a part of this franchise with George Allen 50 years ago. He was a 25-year head trainer for this organization and really a legend in this organization. One of those legends that fans know the name and know a little bit about it, but the players and the people in that organization, Bubba was for real. Bubba was the guy. Bubba went from one coaching staff to another over a long period of time before finally retiring in 2009. And with the issues with Ryan Vermillion, which we still know nothing about, unless you're going to give me some update, nothing about, um, the uh, uh, Bubba Tire just showed up at the park saying, hey, I'm here to help if anybody needs any help. And Ron Rivera said he's he's there as a volunteer. Now, I think Grant Paulson reported that Washington actually reached out to him. That's not really what Rivera said in his presser yesterday. He said, well, for the most part, Bubba's just really here volunteering. He came in to help out, and that's it. Um, he's got some free time and wanted to come in and just help us all. He's volunteering. Um, but back to the more serious thing. It, it, uh, there's a staff there. You know, Ryan Vermillion wasn't the only person looking at injuries. But, you know, this is potentially a competitive disadvantage not to have your head trainer, especially when you've got, you know, all of a sudden a bunch of players on your injury list and several on injured reserve, the, short, the short-term injured reserve. You know, if it's, if it's not a competitive disadvantage, then – they might as well just get rid of the job 
and send their players to urgent care when they got something wrong with them. <laughs> right? Why not go to CVS? Right? I mean, yeah. If it's not if it's not that important of a thing, then just get rid of them and just send. Oh, go down the road. There's an urgent care right down the road. I had somebody minute t- minute minute clinic. I had exactly. I had somebody tell me the other day, like I think everybody's been trying to get information on Vermilion. I don't think anybody's given anything out um, on Vermilion. Uh, who who the hell knows why the DEA was there, uh, why the feds raided Redskin Park or Washington Football Team Park, and what's going on there? But in one of the calls that I made, somebody just said that guy probably talks to Rivera as much as anybody in the organization on a daily basis. That this is a relationship that, you know, we're not all familiar with because it's not like Ryan Vermillion's name pops up a lot. But for for a football team, the head coach and the head – by the way, he was his first hire, essentially, for all intents and purposes, one of his first few hires. That is a relationship that is incredibly – involves an unbelievable amount of communication on a daily basis. You know, uh, coach, you're not going to have this guy for practice. You're not going to have this guy for practice. By the way, this guy, I don't think he's going to be available to you Sunday. This guy, you may, we may have to put on injured reserve. This guy, you know, he's hobbling around like it's something serious, but it really isn't. You know, you can push him a little bit. It's all that every day. And now, wouldn't you say, uh, as as a leap of faith here, just conjecture, based on the fact that he was his longtime trainer in Carolina. And like you said, he's one of the first guys who he thought of to bring to Washington. That he probably trusts, of all the people in that organization, Ron Rivera probably trusts this guy more than any, any other person. Well, considering that he's been with him forever, and he was the first yes. guy he reached out to to bring him here, I think that that's got to yes. be true. I mean... Yeah, it's it's first of all, it's a medical person, you know, so you if you don't if somebody's with you that long and you don't trust them, well, that's on you. I mean, why would you be with a doctor you didn't trust? Why would you be with a a trainer who's looking out for the best interest of everybody medically if you don't trust? Not to mention Rivera, you know, the one thing he did say about Vermillion is that he was very important to him during his battle with cancer a year ago. Yes. You know, he's essentially right there with him, you know. uh, Yeah. Anyway, um, something to keep an eye on as is the injury list. We don't know know anything. I don't. Do you? Here's what we know. No, I don't. Here's what I do know. Uh, DEA raids Washington football team headquarters. It's not the kind of headline you want. I know. We talked about this the other day. Yes, it's not. And at the same time, it's funny. Yesterday, I was, I was with several friends, and one guy just said, you know, I saw it on my phone, and I'm just like, yeah, just another day with the Washington football team. <laughs> like, it's gotten to the point where when you get these kinds of headlines, nothing's jarring anymore. Nothing's surprising. You're almost surprised if you go a couple of weeks without something like that. Happening, but again, we don't really know what happened. Um, we don't there. Um, there were a couple of things that Ron Rivera said yesterday that I want to get to, but I also one one involves Chase Young and one involves Dustin Hopkins. But I also want to talk a little bit more about Taylor Heineke um, with Tommy, and we will do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. This segment of the show presented by MyBookie. Winning season is rolling at MyBookie. And this week, entries are now open for the winner-take-all super contest. What's the super contest? Well, it only costs you $10 to enter. You could win $10,000. You make picks weeks 5 through 8 beginning this weekend. You make five picks against the spread. Get them right. You earn points. You rise up in the standings. And potentially you could take home the $10,000 grand prize. Uh, if you needed another reason to head to mybookie.ag, how about a $20,000 blackjack tournament? Actually, that's really appealing to me, Tommy. Um, I love blackjack. I love craps and blackjack. And I've never, ever participated in a blackjack tournament. Never. And I consider myself to be a decent blackjack player because, and really all that means is I understand and follow simple, basic blackjack strategies. So I don't even know if that means I'm a good player. Um, but anyway, uh, it's an absolute free tournament to enter. My bookie's got a, a, an online casino. They've got an online horse book. They've got an online sports book, of course. Go to my bookie at mybookie.ag right now. Use my promo code, KevinDC. And when you make your first deposit at my bookie, you'll receive double your first deposit. That's promo code KevinDC. You can double your funds, double your winnings, bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. All right, before I get to the Taylor Heineke stuff, real quickly. So Rivera was asked yesterday on the signing of the kicker, Chris Blewett. That's his name, Chris Blewett, uh, kicked yeah. a pit. 
um, you know, what, why did you sign Chris Blewett? And he said, well, to have another kicker. That was it. Boy, his answers about Dustin Hopkins and Chris Blewett have been pretty short. Then people followed. I'm telling you, you think, you think there was a DEA investigation into their kicking game? <laughs> into the kicking situation. So then yeah. he was asked a little bit later on, and he got a little bit more expansive in his answer. He was asked why it's important for him to maintain confidence in Dustin Hopkins. And he said, quote, because if I get off on him, it could get worse. That's just the way it has to be. It's one of those things. It's not like you're going to go out there and pluck a kicker that's going to come in and is going to kick over 80% or something. You want a little more consistency, especially with extra points, and he's working on it. And again, it's just one of those things, and hopefully he'll correct it and we'll go from there. And then he was asked, did any of his experience in dealing with Graham Gano at Carolina um, you know, uh, sort of generate this trust that he has in Hopkins. And he said, you know, it's crazy because if you look at what Graham did throughout the entire Super Bowl year, he was very good, very consistent, did a lot of things. Then we head into the next season and he gets sporadic and had a rough year. But we stayed with Graham and then in 2017 he goes out and sets the record, which I think was consecutive field goals in a row. And then he's still, you know, kicking his ass off with the Giants. Um, the, uh, he's not getting rid of Hopkins. They, th- there's nobody that they bring in to work out that is better in a workout than Hopkins is. I've talked about that a lot, and, and people make fun of me for saying they love the way the ball explodes off his foot, but they do. It gets up in the air really quickly. He's got a really strong leg. He is incredible as a workout guy for a special teams coach or a head coach. And he has the fear of missing out. He has the fear of if he goes to somebody else, that guy not being as good as Hopkins, and then Hopkins gets on the role that they expect him to get on at some point. He is expecting Hopkins to turn into, you know, Gano. Like he's going to get on a role and it's going to be because he's got the talent, he's got the gift of being a big time kicker. By the way, he's a great kickoff guy, too. They're not getting rid of him. He would have to be so bad and cost them dearly. They could be 0-4 because of him, but they won both of those games. It, maybe it would be different un- if had they lost both of them. Go ahead. What? Do you understand that logic? Do you agree with it? I do. I actually do. So do I. So do I. I because I think it's such a weird position, and I think it's so psychological, mental when you've got the talent, which he does. And it may be just a, a one or two big kicks that he hits, and all of a sudden he's off to the races. Now, the one thing I would say about him, though, Tommy, I'm not a kicking expert, but he he does the ball does explode off his foot. It gets up high. He seems to use essentially a driver for every kick. When sometimes maybe just you know a wedge would do. Um, And doing it that way, sometimes it just seems like the ball gets influenced by the power because he always, when he misses, he doesn't miss by a lot. And by the way, the kicks that he misses actually look beautiful in flight. (laughs) You know, they're not like, it's not like it comes off his foot sideways and, and, and hooks hard left or, or fades hard right, hard right. It's usually, you know, up in the air, beautiful kick. Oh no! It just went right, or it just went left. I I think so I. In other words, there's there's no oh Cundiff 
on the no. uh, play-by-play with this guy. There's no kind of. Uh, but no. he missed two PATs indoors, even though the roof was open. Yeah. So there's. Um, he said something else yesterday. He was asked just about Chase Young. And here was what he said. Well, let me back up. First of all, he was asked about the defensive scheme. And he said, I like what we're doing. I do. I think there's a lot of things that we do. I think there are a lot. There's some things that we can be better at. There are some things that we most certainly can go ahead and continue to refine and use. It's one of those things. It's just kind of what we're struggling with right now. We're going to keep working. We're two and two. And the thing that we're disappointed is we feel we could be better than that. And then the follow-up question was about Chase Young. And he said, well, when I look at some of the things that he's done and look at how people react to him and how people have basically slowed him down, there's an impact there still. I think that's the one thing we just have to be smart about, closed quote. Okay, just did you hear something in that quote as I read it? There are two things I heard. Want me to read it to you again? Yes. Quote. On Chase Young, well, when I look at some of, some of the things that he's done and I look at how people react to him and how people have basically slowed him down, there's an impact there still. I think that's the one thing that we just have to be smart about, closed quote. What did you hear there? And I don't. I could have played the sound, but I didn't have it today. Usually my producer sends you know, me all the sound. I mean, yeah. I mean, it seems kind of simple. I must be missing this. I mean, he's saying that even Chase Young not playing up to the level we expected is still effective for us on defense. Yes. So why did he say it's one of the things we have to be smart about? I don't know. You must have a theory. So two things. Number one, he admits that he has been slowed down. Okay. You know, that, that's an, it's, bit, it's a bit of an admission. Secondly, let me just be really clear about how people are reacting to him and how people are basically slowing him down. Not everybody's chipping and doubling him all the time. Secondly, on that point, who cares? The great players get chipped and doubled all the time and still get big-time results. I might want to point out that this is what Del Rio said a couple weeks ago. Yes. Well, they are definitely publicly – doing their best to cover for zero sacks and zero game-changing plays in nearly the first quarter of the season from the player that was expected to contend for the defensive player of the year. Um, And they should, by the way. They should continue to do whatever it takes to build his confidence. I liked some of the things they did on Sunday with him. You know, some of the things they did with him on Sunday were exactly what Cooley suggested. Get him a matchup where he can win immediately. Get him some confidence. And I thought he played okay Sunday. I thought he was much better than he was against Buffalo. But there's an an admission here that he's basically been slowed down. There's an excuse made for him, but there's an admission that people have basically slowed him down. Well, again, just to... This is what what Del Rio said a couple weeks ago. Uh, people were asked about, you know, how they're how they're slowing him down, and you know how they're chipping and all that. And Delio said that's part of it, but it was part of it for Kalee Mack, Julius Peppers, Von Miller, any of the other guys I've had. Right. That's part of playing a defensive end in this league. Yep. Yeah. Th- th- that's the thing. I mean, wasn't very sympathetic to ch- to Chase Young's issues. Yeah. So. Um... 
Now, but the, the second part of it is, is when he says, but there's still an impact there. I think that's the one thing that we just have to be smart about, closed quote. Well, what do you mean smart about it? Like, are you considering playing him less? You know, it's almost like, you know, they've slowed they've slowed him down. They're planning for him. But, you know, we have to realize he's still having some impact. So let's not take him out of the game a lot more. Let's not bench him. Bench him would be obviously jarring, and I would not suggest that that's it. But I wonder, Tommy, he's – He's one of the guys that when Ron Rivera has said over and over again about, you know, not playing the system and not doing their job and not being disciplined, he's one of those people. If you all don't get that at this point, you're really, really missing it. And I'm not suggesting that anybody out there listening doesn't understand that because I think most of you do at this point. So I bet you there have been some conversations about, you know, if he's going to continue to get run out of the scheme and not play it, you know, we're going to continue to give up third downs. We're going to continue to not perform well defensively. And at some point, maybe we need to get somebody else in there that is going to play the scheme that we want to scheme, or at least for more snaps. Now, his snap count was down last week, but he still had more snaps than anybody else defensively. But when he, when he said, I think that's the one thing we've got to be smart about, I think he's saying, look, he's not our worst player, even though he's not playing well. And, and by the way, that's true. He's had some impactful plays. I thought he was vi- – the, the thing about Chase, too, that when you watch him, he's an effort guy. Like, I don't ever see personally from my observation a guy that isn't giving high-energy effort. Like, I, it's, it's not from what, a lack of trying. But what do you think – but maybe he's saying that we need to lower our expectations for this guy, that maybe he's not as good as advertised. I think they think he's as good as advertised in the same way they think Dustin Hopkins is as good uh, without the well, uh, the think, advertisement. But I think that I think you can read that into what his comments were. We need to be smart about this. Smart about our expectations? No, smart about uh, lowering his snap count. That's what I'm saying. Because he says, you know, people he said um, when I look at some of the things that he's done and look at how people react to him and how people have basically slowed him down, there's an impact there still. I think that's the one thing we still have to be smart about, meaning he's still having an impact even though teams are planning for him. And by the way, when teams plan for him and game plan for him, that makes it easier for some of the other players. And, you know, the interior players in particular, I think have played for the most part pretty good football this year. Deron Payne, John Allen, and Matt Ioannidis. And so I think that's what he's talking about. Like, so if there's any conversation here internally that we've had about, you know, maybe lowering his snap count, maybe trying some different things with different players, no, we have to be smart about this. First of all, he's still having an impact, even though he's not playing well. And him being out there in teams game planning for him helps the rest of the defense. That's what I think he's saying. I think it's possible also, he may be saying that we need to maybe lower our expectations for this guy, that he's good and he's worth having out there. But this, this wrecking crew that everyone expected, he might not be that guy. I think he can be that guy. I think that's his potential. We've already seen it. We saw it last year. 
And I'm not just talking about the bad, you know, against the bad quarterbacks. We saw it in the run game t- sometimes. We saw it, you know, even with bad quarterbacks, the from one side of f- the field to the other to knock, you know, the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands. I, we, I, it, you, it'd be really difficult for me to feel like he doesn't all of a sudden after a year have the potential to be one of the very best at his position in the NFL. Now, if people there are get, people get exposed after their rookie years, yeah, well, happens all the time. He's, they have another stationary quarterback that they get to face on Sunday. So let's see what happens. By the way, the other part of the um, Ron Rivera uh, line about how people react to him and some of the things that have been done. Some of the things that have been done also against Washington is that teams have gone much more to quick passing games. You know, Herbert, and there was a lot of quick passing game from Atlanta, and that's to nullify the impact of not just a Chase Young, but remember, they're all first-round picks across their front four, with the exception of Matt Ioannidis. You know, you got four of them, Allen Payne, Sweat, and Young. And so teams are looking at that as that's their strength, and you know what? Through four weeks, as bad as the defense has been, I would still say that by far and away, the strength of the defense is the front four. The problem is it's not the strength and and hasn't performed at the level that we thought it would. It needs to start doing it quickly um, because if it doesn't, it's going to be a long year because you can't play Atlanta every week. All no, right. you can't. So and You can't expect Taylor Heineke to save your bacon every Sunday. You sure? <laughs> All right, so that's what I want to that's what I want to talk about right now. So I put out this poll yesterday, which I'm sure you voted in. Um and yes, I did. We sort of started this conversation together on Tuesday, which made me think about it a little bit. Uh and I put out the poll yesterday, which was just give me your current opinion on Taylor Heineke right now. And there were three answers. You're all in, not just for now, but the future. You're still not sure or no, he's not the answer. And I did it because I had this gut feeling, Tommy, that this was a conversation that we're having as a fan base. And it's a, you know, uh, it's a conversation that is d- dominating a lot of the conversation about the team. I mean, there's there's the defense, but then there's Taylor Heineke. And it's an exciting conversation, and it's, you know, there's a debate about what he is, but I don't think, and I didn't think, that it was a polarizing conversation. My gut from just talking to lots of different people, whether it's on radio or seeing social media or talking to friends, is that for the most part, a very small percentage of people have decided that it's not worth seeing any more of Taylor Heineke. They can already see that he's not the guy. And I, 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 I did that poll because I, I just – so many people – and I've made – look, I did this with Kirk Cousins. You know you lived it with me with Kirk Cousins for a long period of time. I was 100% bought in from the jump. I, I don't know why. I think part of it is that, that that Mike, you know, essentially was so, so bullish on him. And nobody knows quarterbacks like Shanahan. But I just saw something something in him that said, this guy's a top half of the league NFL starter if he gets a chance and if they give him time. Uh, and I'm going to be right about this. I'm going to be right about this. And I think there are a lot of people out there with Taylor Heineke that absolutely are all bought in after four and a half total games 
and they so desperately want to be right about it. And in sort of positioning themselves as being right, they want to feel like they were super contrarian and all alone and that everybody else was a so-called hater of Taylor Heineke. And I just don't think that applies to this conversation. I don't think there's that many people that are like, no, you can't give him a chance. I think they're, I think the Kirk Cousins thing was very polarizing. Still is to this day, you know, in Minnesota. Oh, absolutely. You know, the Colt, look, the Colt McCoy thing, for to, to a certain extent, there were a lot of people like you that were totally bought in, and then a lot of people like me, and I'm not just listing the ones that I got right and got wrong. I was also all in on Josh Doxson, okay? I wanted them to draft him, and I, I predicted all pro seasons, many of them ahead. But um, the point is here that if you are a Taylor Heineke, back, a Taylor Heineke backer and you're totally convinced, that's fine. But you don't have to make it about you against the world. Because that's not a true narrative. That's fake. And so the poll reflected, essentially 29% of the people said they're all in now. All in now. And and the future. He's the guy. They've seen enough. He's the guy. 55.7% said still not sure, which is me. Meaning you're not a believer yet, but you're not a non-believer you want to see more, which has been my position from the jump. The last one was, no, not the answer, and that's 15.5%. So basically – That's eight, where I voted. By the way, that's where I voted. Okay, of course you did. Not the answer. 84.5% of the people being either all in now in the future being sold on him or essentially not sure but I'm, I want to see more is not a polarizing answer. So – I don't know why the conversation is turned into I have the I have this feeling that the Taylor Heineke backers want to turn this conversation into the four of us against the millions of you. And that's not true. That's my point. What do you think? Well, I think there, another issue is they just want to be right so bad. Right, like I did know, about, Kirk. about Taylor Heineke. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, look, you know Dan Orlovsky, uh, NFL uh, analyst, Yeah. Uh, he tweeted this uh, yesterday. The NFL world doesn't truly appreciate how good uh, Terry McLaurin is. I will use this, and I agree with him about that. I will use this app to make sure he gets talked about properly. He is a top-tier wide receiver and a number one unquestionably. And then he said this. If he played with an elite quarterback, many would see him differently slash properly. <laughs> really? Well, that set, that set off oh. a backlash. <laughs> you know, what do you yeah. mean not elite? You know, and then everyone posted Taylor's statistics saying this is, you know, this is an elite quarterback. What are you talking about? But this guy, this guy makes my point. You can see he's not an elite quarterback. You can see that already, you know, and I can see it. Really, and you can you look. You can win without an elite quarterback, but the other parts of your team have to be working. You can't rely on the elite quarterback to win week after on the non-elite quarterback to win week after week. You have to have that great defense that you expected. You have to have more more weapons around you. 
he's not an elite quarterback, okay, obviously. No. Okay, he's not an elite quarterback. However, what is true is that he's playing at a very high level right now. And you can look at, you know, traditional stats. You can look at advanced stats. You can, you know, you can look at pro football focus. You can look at football outsiders. Football outsiders on, on the DVOA number, he's right now the number 10 quarterback in the NFL. And by the way, that's that you know that's a stat that takes into a lot you know game circumstance, down distance, situation. Like they're not giving equal weight to a third and seventeen checkdown throw for fourteen yards that they are a third and twelve throw for fourteen yards. Um, Taylor Heineke's tenth right now in the NFL, and the guys that are in front of him. I mean, this is a pretty impressive list. Uh, I'm sorry, and DVOA, he's eighth right now. Excuse me, eighth, eighth. You know, Stafford, Mahomes, Prescott, Murray, Wilson, Brady, Cousins, all ahead of him. You know, it's it's not Brissett and Wentz and, you know, uh, Zach Wilson that somehow made their way inexplicably into this top eight. You know, the guys that are behind them on this list are Bridgewater and Rodgers and Carr and Herbert. So he had a bad game against Buffalo. That's it. Now, you can say, well, that's the one really good defensive team he's played. True. And they're going to play at least statistically a really good defensive team this week, even though this team gave up a 400-yard passing day last week to Daniel Jones. It's funny about the Giants. You know, we're watching their Washington's next opponent through the the Giant games because the Giants played the Falcons and then the Falcons played Washington. The Giants played the Saints last week, yes. and now the Saints are yes. playing Washington. Um, and so, uh, you know, he hasn't done it against the 85 Bears consistently over and over again, but he doesn't have to face the 85 Bears every week. He's got a good defensive team this Sunday, then a very bad defensive team right now in the Chiefs the week after. I'd be very surprised. Like I said before the Falcons game, I thought he would have a good game. And he did. Uh, now, and I, I, by the way, in two weeks, I think he'll have a good game against the Chiefs. Um, he's not elite. He's not going to be an elite quarterback. Th- this is not Kurt Warner. But there are things that he does at a very high level that, for me as a football fan, intrigue me. He is by far and away the most mobile quarterback they have, and he's super mobile compared to mobile quarterbacks in the NFL. He also really is, and you can see it, he processes very quickly, he's decisive, and he definitely has that baller, you know, thing to him. He's fearless. He's fearless. He's he's fearless. Absolutely. Uh Ben Ben tweeted this out yesterday. Um let me find it because it was uh damn it, where is it? Okay, here it is. This from Next Gen Stats. Terry McLaurin was targeted seven times on Sunday against Atlanta on deep passes of 20 or more air yards. That's the most deep targets by any player in a game since 2016 when Next Gen actually began. McLaurin turned four of those into 94 yards and two touchdowns. So, I mean, you got a guy that is Fearless. He just threw the ball to one receiver more times in a game with 20 or more air yards than ever since Next Gen started to keep track of this. And I think we've seen that. He pushes the ball down the field. Now, one of those throws was an insane high-risk play. And there is a – oh, my God, I, I'm forgetting the the, the stat uh, service. But Brendan, my producer on radio, pointed out that he's number three in the league right now with the most interceptable balls thrown 
if you can believe that, there's a stat that registers how many balls you've thrown that should have been intercepted. He's thrown 14 in, what is it now, three and a half games. Uh, ben Roethlisberger leads the league with 21. But uh, you, you know, So that does speak to the fact that well, he's been picked three times. That speaks to some good fortune so far. Which I think if you're being objective, even if you're a big Taylor Heineke fan, you can admit some good fortune here. Like, I mean, the Buffalo game could have easily been a four-pick game, and Sunday's game could have been a two-to-three-pick game. Um, But they, they weren't. And they won both games because he made many more good plays. There were many more balls that he threw that weren't interceptable that turned out to be big plays. And he made big plays with his legs. As a runner. So here's the question for you, okay? Um, moving away from sort of the, the – it's not a polarizing conversation, which is my belief. So if you're a big Taylor Heineke fan, enjoy it. Be on it. You don't have to then, you know, push this narrative that you're by yourself because you're not by yourself. Um, so here's the question I would ask you. It's a, it's a typical uh, our format hypothetical. What if Ryan Fitzpatrick were ready and healthy and could go right now? Or let me, let me, let me push it off since we're already late this week. On Monday, uh, let's say they win or lose a close game to New Orleans and Taylor plays really well again, has a really good game. And, you know, it's reported that Ryan Fitzpatrick is healthy and he's practicing again um, in Ashburn. Do you think that they would give the ball back to Ryan Fitzpatrick for the next game if he was completely healthy and ready to go? No. I don't. Okay. Do you think they I don't sh- think so. Do you think I they think should? Ron, I think Ron, if, if Ron is Riverboat Ron, he's going to keep playing the hot hand. Do you in think- this case, lukewarm hand, but still, uh, in terms of play, a hot hand. Uh, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think what would happen is you would get this – you know, we're, you know, Ryan's looking good. He's healthy, but we're going to ease him back into this. Taylor's going to start this week against the Chiefs. Um, Taylor had another good game. He's playing well. We're, we're in rhythm offensively right now, but Ryan's getting close. He's physically cleared, um, and we're just going to ease him back into it. You know, and he would take that for a week or two, and then if Taylor kept playing well, then at some point he'd have to say, uh, Taylor Heineke's our starting quarterback for the rest yes. of the season at some point, but he wouldn't yeah, have to say it right you, out of the game. You let it play out. You got to let it play out. Yeah. Now, you have to let it play out. Now, I, I, I'm i not hearing much other than best case would be after the bye week for Fitzpatrick. And so that would be November 14th against the Buccaneers at home, which means Taylor Heineke gets a minimum of the next four weeks. By the way, I agree with you. I think right now what I've learned this year about Heineke is that at the very least, he's a backup quarterback in this league. He's, he's one of the best 64 at doing this. And by the way, because of his personality and mentality of not, you know, of being totally fearless and always sort of ready to go and being a superb athlete, he's perfect to be a backup I'm saying least the worst case is he's a backup in this league I think he will I think if Washington signed 
uh, or drafted a quarterback really high or signed a big-time quarterback or traded for Aaron Rodgers next year, I still think there's a chance that they'd really, really want Taylor Heineke to be a backup. And the other thing I've learned is he's such a much better athlete than Fitzpatrick or Kyle Allen that I just don't know. And you know how I felt about Ryan Fitzpatrick before. I was excited to see what he could do and see if we got the last two years of Ryan Fitzpatrick. But at this point, I just I don't personally think that Ryan Fitzpatrick would be any better. Uh, you know what? What about this? Uh, okay. Let's go nuts here for a second, because I think this is a possible scenario as well. Let's say, you know, Fitzpatrick gets healthy. He keeps playing Heineke, and then Heineke sinks down to a level that a lot of people expected and needs to be replaced. What are the odds he replaced him with Kyle Allen? I think that's dwindling to, like, really low numbers. Okay. I know they like him a lot. You know, we've both we both know that they really like Kyle Allen, but I think now what they've probably realized, I don't know if it's they it, what I from my standpoint, he's just a much better athlete. He's just a he's much more capable of making big plays that really influence the outcome of a game. Now, if he goes on a run of really making too many bad plays, you know, and losing games, I, and, and anything's in play, but I don't see that happening. I see him having some bad games, but usually as a part of maybe the team having some bad games. He benefits from having some really good – look, the truth is they've got some good skill position players to go with him. And as I pointed out yesterday, yeah, with, I think Scott the, Turner's doing a good job. Of Kurt, Kurt, with the addition of Curtis Samuel now to the, now to the team, I mean, he had – he had, uh, what, three first-down catches last week. Uh, you'll see more of him probably in play as you know after uh, one week. So, yeah, he does have weapons. Yeah, and he's got an offensive but, coordinator but at he least doesn't last. Have, yeah. But he doesn't have Logan Thomas. Not right now. That could impact things. He has an offensive coordinator that yeah. certainly, I think, did a really good job against the Falcons' defense. So we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, look, the bottom line, I said this a few weeks ago. We don't have to make up our minds right now. We're going to get them for the next few weeks. And we're going to get them against some good teams and some games in which they're going to have to figure out a way to, to, to stay in it. You know, right now the goal with this schedule, the way it looks right now, is just stay in it until you get that run of division games at the end of the year. You know, don't don't play your way out of it. So somehow you got to split with the Saints and Chiefs. you got to split with – got to stay right around 500 or a game below – somewhere in that you know, general area before you get Cowboys-Eagles, Cowboys-Eagles, Giants to finish up the season. At least then you've got a chance. And by the way, that would be much better for us if they're really in the hunt, you know, a game above or a game below or right at 500. All right, I know you have to go. Um, I'm going to come back with a couple of more things uh, to finish up the show. Um, but I do real quickly want your prediction on Sunday. Uh, Saints 35, Washington 24. All right, Saints 35-24. to 24. Uh, You know it's a one-point spread still. Just sit, sitting there right now at minus one, minus one and a half. All right, um, thanks. Uh, back after these words okay, from a few of our sponsors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This final segment of the show presented by Window Nation. Uh, go to windownation.com or call them at 866-90-NATION. Uh, if you've been thinking about new windows because you want to save big on energy bills this coming winter or you want to improve the look of your home, um, I'd ask that you give Window Nation a shot. Uh, Window Nation has never disappointed Anybody uh, that I know that's used them, including yours truly, they're going to take good care of you. You mention my name. You'll get a free estimate, so there's no risk on this thing. And you can take advantage of the current deal that they've got going on right now, which is buy two, get two free with no limit, no money down, no payments, and no interest for 24 months. So you'll get the windows immediately, and you won't pay a nickel on those windows until the year 2023. And when you begin paying, you're not going to have any interest that's accrued over the two-year period. Uh, Window Nation is the fifth largest window retailing company in the United States. They've got a 97% customer satisfaction rating, and I wouldn't have endorsed Window Nation for this long, uh, coming up on 12 years, actually, if I didn't have complete trust in them. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. It will work out for you. If you're looking for new windows, you've thought about new windows, call Window Nation first. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. Uh, there's a good Thursday night game tonight uh, between the Seahawks and the Rams. You know, Seattle coming off that big win last weekend uh, over San Francisco on the road. Jimmy Garoppolo getting hurt in that game. Uh, Russell Wilson only throwing for 149 yards, but two touchdowns, no picks. In fact, Russell Wilson on the year, nine touchdowns, zero interceptions in four games. They beat Indy in the opener. They lost to Tennessee in overtime. They blew a big lead and lost to Tennessee in overtime at home. Then they lost to Minnesota on the road, and they came back and they beat the 49ers um, the other day on the uh, last week in Santa Clara. So they're 2-2 two and two with th- three road games. Um, And tonight uh, they get uh, the L.A. Rams in a Thursday night game uh, at home. Do you know Russell Wilson has won nine straight Thursday night games as the starting quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks? Uh, There's an issue here in tonight's game, though. The Rams are hungry after really getting their asses kicked by the Cardinals last week and a bit of a stunner to lose 37-20 and really never to have a chance. I mean, the Rams were coming off that win over the Buccaneers as the perceived, if not odds favorite, to advance to the Super Bowl out of the NFC with a 3-0 record. And they faced the Cardinals last week at home, another 3-0 team, and the Cardinals killed them. I mean, that game was really never 
uh, close. They led uh, at halftime by double digits. They led by as many as three touchdowns in the second half. Kyler Murray was phenomenal in the game. The Rams were shell-shocked in that game. So I think they bounced back with a really good effort tonight, even though it's short turnaround and it's on the road. Meantime, the Seahawks, they got a big win but it was a physical win, and it took its toll. I mean, there are several players on Seattle's injury report. They're coming back home. And the truth is, Seattle last year really struggled in their matchups against the Rams. You know, the playoff game, they lost 30-20 to in Seattle. Russell Wilson did not have a good game uh, that particular game. And the other matchups uh, during the year last year, they lost to the Rams uh, uh, in November, 23-16 to in L.A. Um, that was a game in which Russell Wilson had two interceptions, no touchdowns uh, in the game. Also lost a fumble. He accounted for three turnovers against that Ram defense in their first meeting in the regular season. And then they beat the Rams in a big game late in the season, 20-9, to uh, a defensive battle again. Um, and then lost a couple of weeks later in the playoff game. Now, the Rams' defense isn't the same so far this year. Uh, but um, this one, if I were playing it, I would probably lean Seattle uh, because there's a lot of public action on the Rams to bounce back. But I, I, I'm staying off this game. I think this is a, a, a spot where Seattle's banged up off an emotional win on the road, and the Rams are hungry to get back after it after being embarrassed last Sunday. So I'm steering clear of the game tonight, but still a good matchup. And that playoff game was intense um, in uh, in January of last year in that wild card round when the Rams went into Seattle um, with Jared Goff and won that game. I think it was by 10 uh, they won that game on the road. Um, the last thing that I wanted to talk about today is the Washington defense. Um, and specifically, uh, there was a story written by Bill Barnwell earlier this morning on ESPN.com. And I think, uh, you know, he writes really long stories with lots of data and lots of numbers and lots of advanced stats, et cetera. But this one really makes sense to me. Um, it was a, a part of a much larger story about what's real and what isn't real through week four in the NFL. And one of the categories was Washington's defense isn't falling apart. Is that real or not real. And he writes not real. And he explains the reason why. So uh, I'm going to paraphrase all of it because it's very long. I'm not going to read it verbatim, but I'm going to give you the highlights of it, basically. First of all, we know what the problem's been, specifically from a number standpoint. They can't get off the field on third down. They are the 32nd ranked third down defense in the NFL allowing teams to convert 59.7% of the time on third down. Uh, so that that is horrific, obviously, for a third down number. But what Bill Barnwell points out is that it's not sustainable, and the reason is they have a very good first down defense. Their first down defense is ranked seventh in the league. And he writes that historically, a first down defense and a third slash fourth down defense are much closer in ranking because they're very connected. If you're very successful on first down, which Washington has been, and I didn't know that they were the seventh ranked first down defense in the league. 
Um, but I knew that they had been, at least in recent games, pretty decent on first down. You know, what sticks out to me is that the first two plays of the Buffalo game went for like minus three yards, and then it was a third and 13 that Buffalo converted. They had some big first down stops against the Falcons on Sunday um, for, you know, tackles for loss, minus yardage. So the connection, obviously, is if you're in second and 13, um, or second and 12, and you've got a really good first down uh, defense, then ultimately the other team's going to end up with third and long, and you're going to be more successful in third and long. Washington has not been successful in third and long. They haven't really been successful in any third down situation this year. But Barnwell writes that this isn't sustainable, that as long as their first down defense remains to be an effective one that their third down defense will come around. Now, immediately I thought, well, what if it is that their first down defense doesn't hold up and it is um, not nearly as good as we think. And ultimately that moves back towards the middle of the pack. Um, But his point was it's so highly ranked that even if it regresses a little bit, that it's still the disparity between what it might be two or three weeks from now, even if it isn't top 10, but say it's top half of the league, that the third and fourth down defense should follow and should move off of that 32nd uh, ranking mark. Um, He points to New Orleans, actually, Washington's upcoming opponent, um, as an historical example of something that was similar. And he writes that last year – Um, The Saints' defense through four games ranked 10th um, on first and second down, and they were dead last on third, fourth down. That was after the first month of the season. And then it changed. The Saints uh, had the fourth-best defense in the NFL on first and second down and had um, ultimately, you know, moving forward, the second-best on third and fourth down, and they ended up being a very very highly ranked defense last year. So he said that eventually Washington, if they continue to play really well on first down, by the way, their second down defense is ranked 19th in the league. So there's a pretty big disparity between first and second. You know, the first, again, makes a lot of sense. Uh, He didn't go back and give you all of the numbers on first down other than to tell you that it's ranked 7th based on expected points added, the EPA statistic, okay, which is how much is that area of your team, you know, adding points to the team, expected points added based on that particular number. So Washington's first down defense ranks seventh, second down defense ranks 19th, third down ranks 32nd. So the net of it is there's too much of a disparity based on how it usually plays out. Both will sort of inch together. So he believes Washington's defense on third down in particular will not be this bad for this long. By the way, um, I I tend to agree with him. It doesn't make any sense intuitively, even without the numbers, that if your first down defense is really good, that you would really give up just third and 10, third and eight, third and 13, third and 15, over and over and over again. They've done that a lot this year, but it doesn't make sense that that would be sustainable. So we'll see. As part of his uh, research on all of this, he did mention something that I did not know, and I'll share with you, perhaps you did know, 
that William Jackson right now has committed a league high four pass interference penalties for 46 yards. I mean, he's been called for a bunch of them. I knew it. I didn't realize it was a league high. Um, I think he has struggled, certainly with the PIs, but I mentioned, I think earlier this week, the difference between him and, say, Fuller, he, he appears to be much closer. Doc Walker used to always say, look, the guy's getting beat, but at least he's there. Our other guys aren't there. Jackson appears to be in the vicinity of some of these completions or penalties against him. That's a good start. Tomorrow morning on the radio show, tune in. Ron Rivera will be my guest at 8 a.m. He is every Friday. We record that interview actually this afternoon on Thursday afternoons. Also, one of the reasons that Tommy had to take off, he had somewhere to go, and I had to record an interview, which is why he didn't join me for this final segment. And that interview was with Bobby Bear. Bobby Bear, the longtime New Orleans Saint quarterback and also um, has been hosting afternoon radio uh, drive time uh, in New Orleans for years. He will be a guest. You'll hear that interview on the radio show uh, tomorrow morning uh, as well. And Bobby is a very entertaining guest and loves his memories of playing at RFK Stadium. But he had a lot to say about Taylor Heineke. He all, also had a lot to say about Jameis Winston and suggested that Washington's catching New Orleans at the right time. Uh, Much more on tomorrow's show leading into a football weekend. Possibility of having Cooley on tomorrow. Obviously a big preview of the Washington Saints game and the rest of the NFL weekend, including hopefully a better smell test for you tomorrow. All right. uh, Thanks. Back tomorrow. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.